Welcome back, Hemming Brainiacs, for part three, chapter two of Button Brooks. Should Tony at least consider the proposal? TO131901 says Tony is a very pretty young, <laughs> um, has been a pretty young woman from a wealthy and well respected family. Seems odd that she doesn't have suitors already among the sons of similar families. You'd think a lot of men would be after her because she's beautiful and to make an alliance with the Buddenbrooks, yet it seems like Grunlich is the first prospect ever and her parents really don't want to pass him up. In other books from this era, you read about rich young women being introduced to society slash the marriage market at 16. Is that not a thing for Tony? Or was this just for European nobility and aristocracy? Or does this mean that Buddenbrook's business isn't doing great and they could really use an alliance with such a successful businessman? Yeah, true. Comparing it to like War and Peace where the parents seem like, in this, very much like, oh, you got an offer, you should take it. <laughs> where in War and Peace, it's like offers just kind of roll through. Don't just take the first one that comes along. And it's more of a sort of a matchmaking scene rather than just a, like, take what you can get vibe. And de Bruyne says, Now the engagement is on the table, and I guess it's foreseeable that Grudenlich is not a good fit for Tony. She is honest and upfront with her opinions, while he butters up her parents and has no opinion of his own. Why do you think he wants to marry Tony? Just because of her respected background and wealth, or does he plan something more sinister? Uh, well, I have that feeling too, but then I'm not sure what more sinister he could be up to. You know, I don't really know what 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 it could be in it for him. Techrific says that's the real question, isn't it? How much do they really know about him? How wealthy is he really? I also get the impression he's quite a lot older. Not unusual for the times, but still, is this a scare tactic by the parents to get her used to the idea of an arranged marriage, perhaps? Could be. I don't know. Yeah, I just get the feeling that something's a little awry. Let's read chapter three. This year, the Buddenbrooks took no holiday during Christian's and Clara's vacation. The consul said he was too busy, but... It was Tony's unsettled affair as well that kept them lingering in Mengestras. A very diplomatic letter written by the consul himself had been dispatched to her Krunlich, but the progress of the wooing was hindered by Tony's obstinacy. She expressed herself in the most childish way. Heaven forbid, Mama, she would say. I simply can't endure him. With tremendous emphasis on the second syllable, or she would explain solemnly, Father... Tony never otherwise said anything but Papa. I can never yield to him my consent, and at this point the matter would assuredly have stuck had it not been for events that occurred some ten days after the talk in the breakfast room. In other words, about the middle of July. It was afternoon, a hot blue afternoon. The Frau Consul was out and Tony sat with a book alone at the window of the landscape room when Anton brought her a card. Before she had time to read the name, a young man in a bell-skirted coat and pea-green pantaloons entered the room. 
It was, of course, Herr Grunlich, with an expression of imploring tenderness upon his face. Tony started up indignantly and made a movement to flee into the next room. How could one possibly talk to a man who had proposed for one's hand? Her heart was in her throat and she had gone very pale. While he had been at a safe distance, she had hugely enjoyed the solemn conferences with her father and mother and the suddenly enhanced importance of her own person and destiny. But now, here he was, he stood before her. What was going to happen? And again, she felt that she was going to weep. At a rapid stride, his head tipped on one side, his arms outstretched with the air of a man who says, Here I am, kill me if you will. He approached. What a providence, he cried. I find you... Excuse me. I find you here, Antony, he said, Antony. Tony stood erect, her novel in her right hand. She stuck out her lips and gave her head a series of little jerks upward, relieving her irritation by stressing in that manner each word as she spoke it. She got out. What is the matter with you? But the tears were already rising, and her Grunlich's own excitement was too great for him to realise the check. How could I wait longer? Was I not driven to return? He said in impassioned tones. A week ago I had your father's letter which filled me with hope. I could bear it no longer. Could I thus linger on in half-certainty? I threw myself into a carriage. I hastened hither. I have taken a couple of rooms at the city of Hamburg, and here I am, Antony, to hear from your lips the final word which will make me happier than I can express. Tony was stunned. Her tears retreated abashed. This, then, was the effect of her father's careful letter which had indefinitely postponed the decision. Two or three times she stammered, You are mistaken, you are mistaken. Her Grunlich had drawn an armchair close to her seat in the windows. He sat down, he obliged her to sit as well, and bowing over her hand, which limp with indecision she re- resigned to him, he went on in a trembling voice, Fraulein Antoni, since I first saw you that afternoon, do you remember that afternoon when I saw you? A vision of loveliness in your own family circle. Since then, your name has been indelibly written on my heart. He went back, corrected himself and said, Graven. Since that day, Fraulein Antoni, it has been my only, my most ardent wish to win your beautiful hand, what your father's letter permitted me only to hope that I implore you to confirm to me now, in all certainty, I may feel sure of your consent, I may be assured of it. He took her other hand in his and looked deep into her wide open, frightened eyes. He had left his he had left off his worsted gloves today, and his hands were long and white, marked with blue veins. Tony stared at his pink face, at his wart, at his eyes, which were as blue as a goose's. Oh no, no, she broke out rapidly in terror, and then she added, No, I will never yield my consent. She took great pains to speak firmly, but she was already in tears. How have I deserved this doubt and hesitation? he asked, in a lower, well-nigh reproachful tone. I know you are a maiden, cherished and sheltered by the most loving care, but I swear to you, I pledge you my word of honour as a man, that I would carry you in my arms, that as my wife you would lack nothing, that you would live in Hamburg a life altogether worthy of you. Tony sprang up. She freed her hand, and with the tears rolling down her cheeks, cried out in desperation, No, no, I said no, I am refusing you, for heaven's sake, can't you understand? Then her Grunlich rose up too, he took one backward step and stretched out his arms towards her. 
palms up. Seriously, like a man of honour and resolution, he spoke. Mademoiselle Buddenbrook, you understand that I cannot permit myself to be insulted. But I am not insulting you, Herr Grundlich, said Tony, repenting her brusqueness. Oh dear, oh dear, why did all this have to happen to her? Such a wooing as this she had never imagined. She had supposed that one only had to say, your offer does me great honour, but I cannot accept it, and that would be an end of the matter, but your offer does me great honour, she said, as calmly as she could, but I cannot accept it, and now I must go, please excuse me, I am busy. But Herr Grunlich stood in front of her. You reject me, he said gloomily. Yes, Tony said, adding with tact, unfortunately. Herr Grunlich gave a gusty sigh. He took two big steps backward, bent his torso to one side, pointed with his forefinger to the carpet and said in an awful voice, Antony. Thus, for the space of a moment, they stood, he in a posture of commanding rage, Tony, pale, weepy and trembling, her damp handkerchief to her mouth. Then he turned from her and with his hand on his back measured the room twice through as if he were at home. He paused at the window and looked out into the early dusk. Tony moved cautiously towards the glass door, but she got only as far as the middle of the room when he stood beside her again. Tony, he murmured, and gently took her hand. Then he sank, yes, he sank slowly upon his knees beside her. His two gold whiskers lay across her hand. Tony, he repeated, you behold me here, you see to what you have brought me. Have you a heart to feel what I endure? Listen, you behold a man condemned to death, devoted to destruction, a man who will certainly die of grief. He interrupted himself. If you scorn his love, here I lie. Can you find it in your heart to say I despise you? No, no, Tony said quickly in a consoling tone. Her tears were conquered, pity stirred. Heavens, how he must adore her to go on like that, while she herself felt completely indifferent. Was it to her, Tony Buddenbrook, that all this was happening? One read of it in the novels. But here, in real life, a man was in a frock coat on his knees in front of her, weeping imploringly. The idea of marrying him was simply idiotic because she had found him silly, but just at this moment he did not seem silly. There was no honourable, upright, desperate entreaty were in his voice and face. No, no, she repeated, bending over him quite un quite touched. I don't despise you, Herr Grunlich. How can you say such a thing? Do get up, please do. Then you will not kill me, he asked again. And she answered in a consoling, almost motherly tone, No, no. That is a promise, he cried, springing to his feet, but when he saw Tony's frightened face, he got down again and went on in a wheedling tone. Good, good, say no more, Antony, enough for this time, we shall speak of it, of this again. No more now, farewell, I will return, farewell. He got quickly to his feet, he took his broad grey hat from the table, kissed her hand and was out through the glass doors in a twinkling. Tony saw him take his stick from the hall and disappear down the corridor. She stood bewildered and worn out in the middle of the room with the damp handkerchief in one of her limp hands all right there's a chapter yuck this guy's disgusting <laughs> um that behavior is atrocious she rejected you man don't immediately start manipulating a young lady very very icky stuff all right, anyway, that's that chapter. I'm off to continue watching the tennis, and uh, I'll see you tomorrow.